All right, back on the Young Turks, uh, progressive uh, extravaganza uh, begins now. Uh, joining me now is Devin Hansen. He's the author of Guts, the Lane Evans story. Devin, welcome to the Young Turks. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, for folks who don't know, who's Lane Evans? Well, you know, that's the thing. He's a very little known uh, progressive populist who uh, came into Congress in 1982. You know, he started the uh, populist um, caucus in 82 with Barbara Boxer. In 92, he started the progressive caucus with uh, Bernie Sanders. And uh, he was just a, a dude that um, passed a lot of uh, progressive uh, bills and he, he didn't get any credit for it. And, uh, you know, he was okay with that because he was just a real humble dude. And, and um, he, uh, as we see here on the, the screen, he helped, also helped uh, Barack Obama get elected to the Senate in 2003. Um, you know, he was just uh, a, a big warrior for the progressive movement that didn't get a lot of credit. So, Devin, uh, I have a theory on why he didn't get a lot of credit because if uh, an established Democrat had been the first to endorse Obama for the Senate seat, uh, there'd be a lot of to do about that, right? People would st wouldn't stop talking about it. Uh, prescient, courageous, etc. Uh, but when you fight for progressives, the media seems to generally hate you. Uh, so uh, they'll make giant events out of tiny little things when an establishment candidate does it. But this guy could conquer mountains. Uh, and not going to get any press over it. Yeah, it's it's like um, you know he was one of the first guys to stick his neck out for Obama. I mean, um, you know, here in Illinois, you know, going down to downstate Illinois, there's it's a pretty conservative area, and um, Lane was really well respected down there. So he kind of showed Obama the ropes, and you know. You know Obama, he he can talk to anybody and and really uh, cut through all the uh, <clears throat> he he can uh, appeal to a lot of voters, and you know Lane introduced him to a lot of people, and you know nobody wanted him to uh, endorse Obama, and um, even to this day Obama remembers that you know he says I wouldn't be president without you, uh, he really showed him. How to appeal to these uh, swing voters here in the uh, Rust Belt? So Lane Evans was actually in a swing district, wasn't he? So if if he's one of the top progressives in the country, one of the co-founders, as you pointed out, the Congressional Progressive Caucus with Bernie Sanders. Well, uh, you know, conventional wisdom says that uh, progressives can't win in uh, swing districts. So what happened? How did he win in those districts? Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> that, that's the awesome thing about him. Um, you know, in these swing districts, uh, you know, everybody's kind of pointing their fingers, uh, putting their fingers to the wind, seeing where the polls go, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to it, they would rather have a voter, or I'm sorry, a, a congressional representative that sticks to their principles and, um, you know, really it inspires the electorate, you know, that they don't formulate their opinions based on corporate donors, et cetera, et cetera. They um, see what, they see it not as left versus right, but they see it as uh, top versus bottom. And uh, they, they formulate their messages to um, the electorate uh, so that 
that they understand that this isn't just a, a Republican versus a Democrat issue, or uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so, Devin, uh, now let's talk about the depressing state of the 17th district of Illinois because it went from a progressive champion representing to who? I'm sorry. Who who now represents that district? Lane Evans, of course, passed away in 2014. So who now yeah. represents that district? Yeah, right now we have Sherry Bustos, and you oh. know, as, as you know, she uh, rep, uh, she's the head of the DCC, and she got that um, position because she won a so-called Trump district uh, with 20 uh, points. But you know, this this is a district that voted Obama um, twice and then voted um, Trump with less than one percent. Uh, of the vote, and you know the people that um, she was going against, it was uh, Bill Falwell, and <laughs> he he thought uh, Sandy Hook was a false flag. He thought 9/11 was a conspiracy. So you know it, it's easy to win a district when you're going against somebody like that. That doesn't get the Republican National Committee behind them. It doesn't get local Republicans behind them. Um, you know a banana could have won this district as a Democrat. Uh, I I often say because um, we have a lot of union votes, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of progressives here, but um, it, it's just uh, yeah. It's, so uh, it, it, that's an amazing history. I have to confess that I didn't know that it was Sheriff Bustos' seat. So here's uh, Sheriff Bustos for the, those of you at home who don't know. Uh, is arguably one of the most corporate Democrats uh, there is in Congress now. She's the one who targets progressives and spends a lot of money to try to defeat them. And her job is to protect incumbents no matter how conservative they are. So she'll uh, back uh, Cuellar, uh, even though he votes with Trump 70% of the time. She'll back Lipinski, even though he's anti-choice uh, and, and in was against Obamacare, it, the list goes on and on and on. So uh, aides and abets the worst kind of corporate Democrats. And that seat was held by a progressive giant. So, uh, and then they make it seem like, oh, no one could have won that seat but Sherry Bustos, the corporate Democrat. No, a progressive giant had won that seat 12 times. Right. In fact, it, wasn't he at one point named Ronald Reagan's number one foe? Yeah, I mean, the minute he got into office, I mean, he beat a ten-term Republican, and the minute he got into office, he was designated as the number one foe of Reagan. I mean, he was just voting all his principles; he was voting what was right rather than what was politically expedient, and he continued that for his twelve terms in Congress. And that's what people around here really respected. You know, they they wanted to see somebody that was anti-establishment, that was really voting from their heart. Rather than you know uh, letting the corporate uh, interests formulate or you know come up with the uh, issues that were big for them, but um, you know and also Sherry, you know she beat two guys, uh, Harlan and Falwell. Harlan he um, he asked the electorate here to <laughs> pray to the Holy Spirit that he would win. Falwell. I just saw him in a parade last week in the Labor Day parade, and he literally had <laughs> poster boards um, made with magic markers. I mean, these guys spent like $19,000 on their campaigns, and they had no uh, support of the national committees. And, and, and here we are electing somebody to the DCC because she won a Trump district. But it, it, it's just... 
Yeah, <laughs> it's really ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, the part of the story I like is that the Holy Spirit was like, uh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, uh, everybody check out the book because there's so much more. Uh, you know, he turned down all um, of the salary increases that Congress got. Died penniless, by the way. I mean, totally giving a guy. You know, we brag about how the Just Democrats invented no corporate PAC money, right? But he was not taking corporate money or lobbyist money way before we quote unquote invented that. So, everybody check out the book Guts, the Lane Evans story. Devin Hansen, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. Now, when we come back, Harvey K, he's going to tell you. Why America's always been a radical country, radical progressive, and how we can make America radical again. We'll be right back. All right, back on the Young Turks, the progressive extravaganza continues. Joining me now in studio, Harvey Kay, he's professor of democracy and justice studies, so I already love that, at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay, and he's the author of the book, Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Harvey, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you in the studio. So, Harvey, talk to us about what you mean by radical again. Yeah, that's interesting because we're in the middle of a crisis, and I don't just mean a crisis of Donald Trump. We're in the middle of a crisis that's been making in the making for forty to forty-five years. I mean, look at the inequality that's emerged. Look at the degree to which we've seen workers' rights under siege, women's rights under siege, and of course, the right to vote by people of color and even young and old people. Their their rights. We've seen rights under siege. So we're in a crisis of democracy, and it strikes me that we're in a crisis comparable. I'm serious about this. 1770s. The 1860s, the 1930s, and 40s, and it's our time to do what Americans did then. And we often forget this. We forget the fact that 1776 was about the makings of a democratic republic. The 1860s was about sustaining the union, but in order to create an independent America, we actually did make the America of that day freer, more equal, and more democratic. In order to sustain the union in the in the 1860s, and Lincoln came to recognize this, the only way to sustain the union was actually to reach into American history and make real, as best he could, the ideas of the Declaration of Independence. And and he was empowered, as was as were the founders, by the fact that it was a bottom-up kind of energy. It was a struggle from below. And if you think about the 1930s, the worst economic and social catastrophe in American history. The Franklin Roosevelt administration was all about empowering working people. And there again, working people themselves pushed FDR possibly further than he might otherwise have gone. So my view is if we're in a a crisis today, then our task becomes making America radical again. Making real the promise of the 1770s, making real the promise of the New Deal, making real the kinds of things that America is a should be about. And too often we've forgotten these things. They've been, if you like, our memories have been distracted and suppressed by powers beyond, seemingly beyond our control. So every once in a while, right wing blogs and websites get a hold of something I say and they make a big deal out of it. I'm almost always amused by it. So I once said that the Holocaust was done by Christians. And they're like, how dare you? But was it Buddhist? <laughs> so like, I don't right. even understand the critique, right. right? And then, and about the founding fathers, I said, you know, they were incredibly progressive. And they're like, <laughs> ridiculous. They were all conservative. 
All right, Harvey, you're a historian, what were they? The founding generation was a revolutionary generation. I mean, let's not forget, the rebellion of 1774 and 1775 might well have never become a revolution. And then my hero, ever since I was a kid, Thomas Paine, authors common sense. And what he says, and and he's not inventing this, he's responding to what he sees in America itself. He says, we have it in our power to begin the world over again. And when Amer- and, and moreover, and this is a, to make a sidebar, but a very significant sidebar. In common sense, he calls for separation of church and state. And it's fundamental because it enables those who are of minority faiths, Presbyterians, Baptists, Congregationalists, well, they weren't a minority in New England. But you have these folks, Catholics and Jews, who see the revolution as not simply a matter of independence, but a matter of really securing freedom. Not only freedom in a political sense, but freedom in a religious sense. In fact, Paine himself once said, if the war had been fought only for independence, it would not have been worth fighting. It was because we wanted a democratic republic characterized by separation of church and state. We want to show the world that we don't have to be ruled by kings, aristocrats, or people with a hell of a lot of property. Right, or religious oligarchs. Or indeed, religious oligarchs, right, yeah. priests and bishops. Because, and the other thing that that leads to is constant war. The Catholics win, they kill all the Protestants. The Protestants win, they kill all the Catholics. Right. Or they, they all go after the Jews. Or they all kill all the Jews, exactly right. And so, so, we headed that off at the past. Now the founding fathers were nowhere near perfect, and you know, Absolutely not. that's so obvious that right. we don't even have to get yeah. into it here. But they were far more progressive than their counterparts oh, at the time. So right. you know, now they criticize Bernie Sanders for talking about revolution. How do you think this country got started? Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. In every generation, if you look at American history closely from the bottom up, from a more critical perspective. You see whether they were abolitionists, religious free thinkers, women's rights advocates, populists, progressives, labor unionists, socialists, we can come all the way down the line. They always look back to the revolution. And there they discovered not only the promise of the declaration, they actually embraced Thomas Paine as, as their hero, their champion. And in many ways, it's our job to redeem that kind of promise, that vision. You know, and I want to go further. I think Americans yearn to do that. And I think all too often the establishments of both parties, okay, the Republicans try to suppress memory. The problem with the Democrats for too many years is that they turn their back on American history. And it's it's our generation's opportunity to make America, as Langston Hughes would have said it, really America. Yeah. And and so that's why we have the American flag in the background, guys. Because the idea of America is a fantastic idea. Have we always lived up to it? No, right? right. But that doesn't mean we can't. The, idea, it, it, the correct path in my mind is not to rip down the idea of America, but to right. actually live up to it, to build yeah. it up and, and to build ourselves up so that we could be worthy of that idea. Well said. <laughs> well, I should have had you endorse my book. Very well said. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so I, I actually got now a t-shirt idea for you. Uh, because uh, you might be one of the rare guys who's a bigger fan of Thomas Paine than me and my dad, who <laughs> love him, right? No pain, no gain. I love it. Right. <laughs> Next TYT. Shop T-Y- yeah, sorry. Shoptyt.com. I actually was going to buy a TYT sweatshirt uh-huh. to wear tonight, and somebody said, "Don't you think it's a little patronizing?" But I think no pain, no gain is great. Yeah. Uh, no, we'll get you a. T- uh, I was going to say. I was gonna say a t-shirt, that sounded cheap for a second. Sweatshirt, we'll get you the sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, so no, but let's keep going, right? So in 
in throughout history, as you're pointing out here, every time we now look back at it and celebrate those folks. Yeah. Oh, the abolitionists, you know, they helped to get rid of slavery. Now they're heroes, and you know, and right. and and Harriet Tubman, an incredible hero. Dr. King, the civil Frederick rights Douglas, era. I mean, we can go on and on, right? Right. right. And, and every one of those was a progressive. Every single right, one. Right. The story of America is actually the story of progressivism and radicalism. And one way to look at it, you know, sometimes I tell my students, think about these dates. And I lay out a whole series of dates, and then of course they go scrambling. You can cheat, look at each other's paper, I don't mind. The point is that there are these, there are those moments in American history. We didn't win them all, but there are those moments in American history when, when we remember who we are and we begin to try to live up to that memory. And I and I look, we're at that moment right now. I mean, I think about 2016, and I was waiting for Bernie specifically to speak of the, the American past. And he did it on one occasion. Okay, it was a beautiful evening, a beautiful event at Georgetown in November 2015, actually. Mm -hmm. But he's really amazed me, and I've really been excited this time because they've they've really laid hold of the FDR tradition now. The New Deal, the Green New Deal. Economic Bill of Rights, a 21st century economic bill of rights. I mean, we're at a critical moment, we're in the crisis. But even in the midst of the crisis, there are so many currents of progressive possibilities. The trick is, can we bring them together? Can we create some kind of united front for enhancing and extending and deepening democracy. So the challenge, the challenge is in front of us. You know, and so when you ask anyone to name an American hero that's conservative, they'll either give a preposterously wrong answer, right? Like, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, yeah, he was conservative. Like, ridiculous, right? Right. right. Or they're like, uh, Reagan. <laughs> Hero to the rich. Right. right. Look, conservatives do a really great job of trying to lay claim to our heroes. Right. I mean, Ronald Reagan shocked all conservatives, no one more than George Will on the night that he accepted the Republican nomination for president in 1980. When he quoted, imagine this, in the course of his acceptance speech, he quoted Thomas Paine, Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Roosevelt. And George Will's head must have been spinning like in The Exorcist, that's all I can tell you. Because seriously speaking, he knew that most Americans had a kind of progressive memory and he was gonna lay hold of that. In part because he once upon a time had been an FDR and Truman Democrat. So he knew the degree to which Americans would respond to names like Payne and Lincoln and FDR. And I, I, look, the job of, of people on the left, progressives, liberals, democratic socialists, radicals, our job is basically to enable and enhance American memory, even as we're pursuing a political agenda. And, and to bring those together to, you know, not just to make people angry about what we've lost or what we've done to ourselves over years, but all the more to know what we're capable of doing. Unfortunately, on the show, we keep coming back to this. And I feel that people might think that we're, we're doing it because we're part of the media and we're challenging the old media. Oh, I swear yeah. to God, it's not because of that. We come, keep coming back to the same thing. Like, when you think about it for one second, it becomes abundantly clear that all the American heroes are progressives and yes. overthrew an established system and expanded the circle of liberty and right. brought further Absolutely. justice, the suffragettes, and the list goes on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. No one could claim the suffragettes and the civil rights movement weren't progressive. Right. Well, no one could claim FDR that this social security wasn't progressive. Right. So now, but 
the media never acknowledges that this country is progressive right. and built on a foundation of progressives. Well, the media generally, we, we realize, is not only literally willing to push aside progressive voices. They're also willing to suppress the progressive story, okay? And when they're willing to talk about it, they always get it wrong or they, or they portray folks as somehow radical on the right and on the left. You know, there's a term we've lost touch with from when I was growing up before you were born, the word reactionary, all right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Progressives and radicals were on the left and reactionaries were on the right. And you know, I used to, so look, a radical to me, a progressive, these are, these are like this, okay? And our task is to recover the radicalism that is the American story and enhance democracy progressively. I mean, it, it comes to that. So, I mean, I could sit here and, and tell you how much I enjoy TYT. I love the fact that that American flag is there. And I think, uh, and I would even pitch you, let's do more history on TYT, something like that. I'm ready to help. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I think Look, I mean, this is a great venue, okay? I don't know if you realize being out here in California, how many people back there across the country are actually tuning in. Well, you know the numbers, but it's also the case that you can, people actually respond on Twitter when I say I'm gonna be on this. Oh, wow, that's so exciting. And I say, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, we appreciate that. So back to FDR for a second. Happily. So, yes, another one of your heroes, another one of all of our heroes. And so, um, Talk to me about what he did at the time and how analogous it might be to today. Okay, well, the first thing is, and this goes to true of Payne and Lincoln and maybe especially FDR, had incredible confidence in their fellow citizens. They were, you wouldn't have heard FDR saying, well, I'm unelectable. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he just, he, what he did is he, when he ran in the, in the spring of 1932, he, he laid out week by week and month by month an agenda always linking that agenda to the American story. So for example, in 1932, he actually called up in San Francisco at the Commonwealth Club for an economic declaration of rights. Long before people, I mean, most people don't even remember that part of it. They say, well, late in his, in his presidency, he called for an economic bill of rights. No, in 1932, he called for an economic declaration of rights to, if you like, renew the spirit of the Declaration of Independence, the social contract. Then in 1941, January 41, before we had begun in the war, he lays out the vision of the four freedoms. Freedom of speech and expression, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear. And this, even though Americans couldn't recite them, Americans don't take quizzes well. It really became the spirit of the war effort. Now, undeniably, Roosevelt made some tragic mistakes. The internment of the Japanese Americans, the failure to integrate the military, the inability to get Congress to open the doors to more Jewish refugees from Europe. But the fact is that if you look from 32 through the war years, it's always an effort to push progressive politics. I mean, he really was a social democrat. The term he didn't use, he used the word liberal, but it was social democracy. Pretty much what we're talking about with Bernie Sanders, social democracy. And then in 1944, he never gave up the idea of the economic declaration of rights or the vision of the four freedoms. In January of 44 in the State of the Union, he called for an economic bill of rights. And even warned, and I love this, in the speech, he warned that there will be those who will seek to prevent this from ever taking place. He, he points a finger at big corporations and political reactionaries. And, he, and he, what he says is we should not be fooled. Yep, and uh, in, if someone proposed freedom from want today, 
that's bolder arguably than even what Sanders or any of the other candidates are proposing. Right, right. And they'd be called socialist and maybe even communist. communist what right. do you mean freedom from want? Right. Like they'd be like they would be absolutely <laughs> outraged. Right. And then you ask him, what do you think about FDR? Oh, FDR is an American hero. You know he was actually conservative. <laughs> you know, I'll add one thing. 1943, Roosevelt started asking, so what will Americans want after the war? And he asked the National Opinion Research Council, which was at Princeton at the time, to run surveys. And just to give you an example, 85% of Americans, these were both Republicans and Democrats, wanted national health care. What we would today call Medicare for all. Can you imagine right. 85%? And I'll let yeah. people know that at no point since then have we necessarily seen the 85% number. However, at no point has have fewer than 50% of Americans wanted national health care. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, all the corporate power is in the other uh, yeah, smaller right. uh, percentage. Yeah. But we're gonna win on that soon too. Everybody check out the book, Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Professor Harvey Kay, a wonderful historian. Thank you so much for joining us. Really Thank you. Oh, it's, it's great to have met you finally. Thank you. All right, when we come back, Mayor Bill de Blasio on Mayor Bloomberg's presidential run. Don't miss it.